Anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Raising the debt ceiling does not increase our debt. It does not somehow promote profligacy. I know words. I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the first and inaugural Peddling Fiction Live podcast. Justin Hillbilly Boy Campbell is here with me. Apparently, he does this all the time. So I am the amateur here, broadcasting live deep behind enemy lines from beautiful, sunny, little chilly for my taste, Puerto Vallarta, Mexico, and deep in the heart of America, surrounded by goats and chickens and God knows what else, is Justin Hillbilly Boy Campbell. What's up, man? Not much. This is uh, fun and exciting. Yeah, yeah, this should be a good Friday um afternoon maybe a tradition i don't know the best day to do a, a live stream but fridays are good because i can uh, have a glass of Sauvignon blanc while i do it and get this uh weekend kicked off properly what's uh what's been going on with you the last couple of days uh big fun stuff around here my daughter had a wrestling meet yesterday she didn't get to wrestle um they didn't the other team didn't have any girls in her weight class so she didn't get to wrestle but it was fun it was uh going to wrestling meets this week has been exciting i've never we didn't have wrestling at the high school i went to so i've never had any experience with that previously and it's pretty it's uh pretty engaging and then today we had our old air conditioning unit uh removed and a, a new unit and furnace and everything put in so uh that was you know about eight grand just yeah oh that age uh, but, <laughs> but it'll be worth it my wife is very happy so happy wife happy happy life is what they say yeah yeah i always feel that's such a douchey thing to say god damn it <laughs> <laughs> i'm never gonna be that guy and i like i said for those of you who are um substack subscribers um, supporting subscribers. I will never be the guy that posts my Valentine's day shit on Facebook. I saw you do that too. You fucking loser. <laughs> you have to do the little things that make your wife feel loved and appreciated. Oh my God. Yeah. I just, whether it's I don't a think Facebook I'll end up post with anybody that, yeah, I don't think I'll bring, end up with bring her home a bottle of wine from time to time, have the air conditioning and heating unit replaced, you know, whatever, whatever it takes. Yeah. No, I see that's the stuff that I think um, people should be focused on, like taking care of her throughout the year, not just on one bullshit day when it's completely um, contrived and forced and it's an obligation. So it means nothing to me if somebody's forcing you to do it. If there's societal pressure forcing you to do this for me, it takes all of the, the special fun out of it and it, it means nothing. So anyway, it was a I thought it was a decent rant. I don't know if you listened to it. 
But no, I, I read I read the one that you posted this morning though. That was good. Ah, uh, yeah. So I do want to I do want to talk about that some more because I don't think we did it nearly uh, near justice on the last one because we got completely sidetracked talking about NFL commercials. And I really hadn't um, read up too much on it at the time. And we've gotten a lot more information since then. So I don't know where you want to start. I sent you a bunch of stuff. Let's go ahead and start with that since that's kind of fresh on your mind. And then we can kind of uh, yeah, kind of take it from there. Yeah. Well, so there, there's a couple different things that I find interesting about it. Well, not interesting. I guess frustrating about it. Um, the first is, of course, the rush by people to blame deregulation and capitalism just run amok, right? These greedy corporations are killing people in the in the name of profit. And it's just so obnoxious to see that narrative over and over again. Every time there's some sort of disaster or problem, this is immediately what everybody goes to because they've been trained to do that in government schools. They've been propagandized to every time there's something wrong, uh, where's the government? Why isn't the government doing this? Why didn't the government do that? Oh, our, my government tried to do it, but your government came in and rolled back all of those regulations. So we, if we would just have kept the Obama era uh, safety regulations in place, none of this would have happened. Or even if it happened, it would have been a lot less severe. But then Donald Trump, that bad orange man, came in there, rolled back all these regulations. We turned into the Wild West and... That, you know, it's just so fucking ridiculous to to look around the United States and see deregulation everywhere. Like this is the the most ridiculous boogeyman I've ever fucking heard of. Deregulation in the U.S. You you almost can't wipe your ass without filling out a fucking form in the U.S. You need you need permission to do everything, everything, and transportation like transporting hazardous materials. I can only imagine the number of regulations you have to abide by and how many bureaucrats are up your ass every day of the week and twice on Sunday. I mean, you've got the EPA regulations, you've got the regular transportation regulations. I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, how many, how many agencies are overseeing this type of thing? And, and then again, how many agencies do we have in place to deal with this type of accident? And every time there's like a, a natural disaster or something, you're looking around and just watching the government fail epically in real time. No matter how many agencies they have, how many bureaucracies, how many billions or trillions of dollars we've poured into this thing. And every time it's just like, oh, it's a huge embarrassing failure. Well, when there were politicians and stuff trying to blame uh, I believe it was North Folk Southern was the rail line that, that runs the one that was in Ohio. They were trying to blame Norfolk Southern. It's like you do realize Norfolk Southern and all of the other major rail lines are really subsidiaries of the federal government. Like they all report to the Department of Transportation. Like that's the whole reason that we had the whole ordeal with the strike and, and everything else that went on earlier in the year was because they are and, – and the reason that all of this regulation and stuff um, – applies to them in the way in the way that it does is because they are they're just a, a they're a division of the government with a couple extra steps added like at the end of the day they're they fall completely under 
the federal government. Like that's the reason that they're that they're, that's the reason that their unions all have to get together and go negotiate with the Department of Transportation and with Joe Biden and, and the federal government because they don't actually run and operate independently of each other or of you know or of anything. They are all lumped together under under the federal government. Yeah. Like the, yeah, the whole thing a is a is a giant joke. Yeah, that's a great point. But you know, it's capitalism run amok again. God damn it. And all that deregulation. So for the deregulation, and it is funny too. Um, I know we talked about this on a, a previous podcast, the idea that, you know, the Democrats want to be so pro-union, but the second this union tried to be like, hey, we are understaffed and overworked, we're gonna strike, and they fucking completely squashed it. With the with and it's not like they brought in scabs to take their jobs. No, they just used the you know the full force and weight of the federal government and the threat of everything that they can do to you. Right. They just crafted legislation that says you're not allowed to strike anymore. Sorry. Sucks to be you. <laughs> yeah, it really is unbelievable. And the so the deregulate, this is what, for those of you who haven't read the, the sub stack that I put out this morning, the, the deregulation that all of these lemmings are latching on to is that during the Obama administration, they put this safety, I don't even know if it was a regulation or just like a rule or something that they put in place or even what the difference between that is. But they basically said that all um, certain types of trains carrying, I forget the exact uh, language they used for it, but it was like hazardous flammable material. But essentially it would only apply to um, rail cars carrying oil and ethanol. It said all of these types of trains have to be outfitted with these electronic brakes. And the, uh, you know, the railroad lobby, you know, was going back and forth with them. There was like a push by some government agencies to make it more broad to apply to all, all trains. And then they ended up settling on just the ones carrying oil and ethanol. And Donald Trump came into office and the I guess the Republicans were asking for some sort of cost benefit analysis because it was really expensive to retrofit all of these trains with these new brakes. And it turns out that the cost benefit analysis, what you know, didn't pan out. It didn't make sense to do this. And so they took away that regulation that said you had to have these brakes on all of these trains. Now, that is their excuse. That is the deregulation that they are blaming for this incident if you look at the incident report and if you've seen the some of the footage you know there was security footage of the train going by like 20 miles before east Pal uh, palestine and one of the cars is like completely on fire so these these bearings yeah these fucking wheel bearings like completely overheated and uh, probably melted off or something and then the train derailed and then maybe they hit the brakes when that happened. You know what I mean? It's not like this was, oh, there was something on the tracks and they couldn't stop in time. No, this was like a couple miles behind the, the lead car. This thing's on fire and they don't even know it. But that's what they're blaming this for. And then you look into the regulation and it's like, oh, that regulation wouldn't even, even have applied to this train. It wouldn't have covered this train because it wasn't carrying oil or ethanol. It was carrying this vinyl chloride. So it is just so reminiscent of the, the 2008 financial crisis where they couldn't figure, you know, how did this happen? 
oh, it must have been deregulation, obviously, because, you know, this is the private sector, this is banking, and, you know, these are rich Wall Street fat cats. So uh, obviously, we just didn't regulate them enough. And then they look back to, well, it's like, well, this is one of the most heavy regulated industries on the face of the earth. I mean, I was in finance for 15 years. I got fucking audited every year, every year. I got the uh, financial equivalent of a colonoscopy. Like you are heavily fucking regulated. And it's like, oh, well, they repealed, they partially repealed Glass-Steagall, a 1933 FDR thing. <laughs> and the portion of it that they repealed basically said, I hope I'm not boring everybody to death, basically said that uh, you can't have both uh, an investment bank and a commercial bank. That's all it said. And it's like, all right, so that's the one piece of deregulation that you can point to in the last like 20 years that caused it. And they did that in like the 90s. And then this happened in 2008. So it's like, all right, you look at everybody involved in the meltdown in 2008, you know, Bear Stearns, Lehman Brothers, Merrill Lynch, AIG, none of those fucking play, those banks or entities would have applied to Glass-Steagall just was totally irrelevant. They were either like completely just only investment banks or they weren't investment banks at all. Like it just didn't matter. But that was like the one thing that they could point to. And it was just totally irrelevant. But you just say deregulation and all of your properly propagandized lemmings will deregulation. Yep. Capitalism run amok. Well, I mean, that's like coming from the agricultural industry. Like there are so many regulations and most of them don't make sense because they're put in place by people who don't actually know anything about the industry, don't know anything about the field, have never worked in the job whatsoever. And like, it's some of the most heavily regulated stuff ever. And most of the regulation doesn't even matter. So like deregulation is typically a good thing. Like uh, the EPA has a rule for grain elevators and stuff that you can't, uh, you can't have stuff fall off in, in to like waterways. So corn falling off of barge into the river is subject to a fine from the EPA. Now, okay. what do you think? What do you think fish eat? Corn. That's... They like shrimp over here, but I'm <laughs> sure they would eat some corn if it was there. Oh, anytime like fishers are near, like fishermen are near a grain elevator, they always try to get somewhere close by because the the river belts and the barges you always have grain fall off and the fish just swarm to it like they just stay right there because that's free food nonstop yeah, like, party but if yeah. they if the EPA happens to be coming by and they see some some grain fall off of the barge into the water that's a fine yeah yeah and that was another point that I made in in the Substack thing is a lot of these regulations are completely antiquated they don't apply anymore or they're just not where you should be focusing your attention. And there was a, if, if you go back and I referenced the, this article where they talked to this guy that worked in the industry and he's like, yeah, you know, like we used to do a lot of maintenance on the tracks and make sure, you know, all these bearings are greased up and everything was good to go. Now we spend most of our time complying with these regulations that don't really move the needle. But some, you know, some lobbyists got some bureaucrat to write it down on paper. And now that's what we focus on. And had we been focusing on these things, you know, they have these sensors that can pick up whether or not these um, bearings are overheating and things, but they, they don't have as many of them as they should, and they don't have the crew anymore to maintain them. And it's, uh, you know, some of that could just be irresponsible cost cutting on the behalf of this uh, corporation. 
you know, no doubt, I'm sure they have, they could find the money to hire some of these guys to do it. But at the same time, like how much of their time and energy and cost goes into complying with things that don't matter, that should, you know, that they shouldn't be focused on. And they could redirect those resources to doing things that would have actually prevented this incident from happening. Well, and all of these companies and these like big industries like this that are very heavily regulated, very heavily uh, like have a lot of eyes on them from a whole bunch of different governmental departments. They have these huge departments that are just dedicated to uh, just dedicated to compliance. Like that's all they do. They have no purpose other than for compliance. I mean, yeah, you want to talk about like how could you better spend your money if you're not having to spend millions upon millions of dollars on just having people sit in a fucking cubicle and make sure that all of your I's are dotted and your T's T's are crossed and all the right paperwork for this completely irrelevant bullshit is filed properly. And like uh, there are entire departments that are just solely dedicated to that, that contribute nothing to actually fixing the problems that result in accidents like this. Yeah. Or innovating and coming out with new products and, and cheaper, better ways of doing things. And especially in like the financial industry, compliance cost is your number one cost. That and taxes, like th- that's it, and complying with the tax code. So it's like basically just two heads of the same fucking monster. Well, and it's we, the same I, thing in the ener- energy sector. Like they had the whole thing about like the clean coal and all of this stuff that had to be added to the the coal plants to, to make coal burn cleaner or whatever. Number one, none of that stuff actually worked. Number two, they were dedicating millions upon millions of dollars into trying to retrofit stuff and put stuff in place that everybody in the industry knew wouldn't work. And, and then on top of it, it was creating additional problems because it was uh, like, it was clogging stuff up and these filters and stuff that they had to put in would constantly break down and effectively. And, and to have them in, it actually made the process less efficient. So more or less like every uh, plant that was putting those things in, like they were just putting them in and then waiting for them to break so they could take them back out. Like that was like that's that's what all of your regulation accomplished was it made things less efficient and accomplished nothing. Yeah. And even if you are in the camp uh, like this big proponent of regulation and government needs to do something, government needs to step in. It's like, well, oh, OK, your, your government tried to do this. And then this corporation just threw them a couple bucks and they completely fucking folded like a cheap suit. So in your dream scenario all some fucking multi-billion dollar corporation has to do is find a dishonest politician willing to take some bribes and all your fucking regulations go out the window. Like they, they stand nothing to, they have nothing to lose from a, from a government standpoint when this happens, like the, all the incentives line up for them to just be like, see, this is because we didn't regulate enough. So give us more money, give us more power. And next time we'll, we'll really make sure that this doesn't happen. But after it happens, like you can't sue the, uh, go, go ahead and sue the government. Even if you win, who pays that out? Uh, Joe Biden's not stroking you a fucking check. Mitch McConnell's not stroking you a check. No, no, it, it comes from you're basically stroking yourself a check. You're, you're taking money from you and all your friends and everybody else that had nothing to do with this. We're all innocent bystanders, and they're the ones that end up paying uh, the ultimate price for this. It, it's just such a ridiculous system. I, I can't believe more people are not getting uh, are not privy to this. 
really is just fucking frustrating to watch it happen. Well, and I mean, how hard does it have to be to find a crooked politician who's willing to take a kickback on that to go ahead and say, yeah, never mind. Dude, you could spit in any direction in D.C. and hit at least three of them. I mean, if they weren't crooked, fucking despicable people, they wouldn't be politicians. They would have just been lawyers <laughs> instead of lawyers and politicians. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. And then you have the whole aspect of whether or not this is, like, perfectly safe and the, the drinking water is okay and the air is okay to breathe. I still don't know what to think on that. I did read um, somebody's substat is like Drew Drewmer or something. I'd never, I remember it started with a D and had a bunch of O's in it, but he put out a substack making the case that this was being blown way out of proportion in terms of the, the safety of it. And he was getting into, you know, the parts per million of vinyl chloride burning in the air. And I can't speak to that. I have no idea. I know it doesn't look good from like satellite imagery and shit like that, like having this huge mushroom cloud. It doesn't look very good to me. And I find it very interesting that all of these um, so-called environmentalists who will, you know, will ban like plastic bags at grocery stores. <laughs> you know, you can't, you can't, nope, you can't put that stuff in a plastic bag. You have to use a reusable like cloth bag or something, but we can just burn you know, gallons of this toxic shit and throw it into the atmosphere. And that's perfectly fine. There's nothing to see here. Don't worry about it. I don't know. I mean, these people are professional liars. They never tell the truth when it matters. I'm going to err on the side of caution and say, don't drink the water and just get out of there. I don't know. There is something to be said for blowing things out of proportion on some of this stuff, like, um, yeah. like rail car, or car derailments are not super uncommon, but on this level, it's not real common. But like um, we talked about it this morning on on my morning show, where I have all the experience doing this live stream stuff. Uh, <laughs> like having people evacuate from areas around like where there have been derailments and stuff. That's also not uncommon. Like where I'm from back home, there's a big switch yard, and uh, from time to time a car will get off the track a little bit and they'll, they'll evacuate like the three, three blocks or so around the, the rail yard because just out of precaution, like it's not entirely uncommon. Uh, one time a, an anhydrous tank uh, tanker started leaking and I was, I don't know, I was coming, coming through about half a mile, three quarters of a mile away and I could smell it. And they had, they had to evacuate a large portion of like uh, the town nearby the rail switchyard, But, now, usually it doesn't amount to anything, but it, again, it's not super uncommon. Like whenever, uh, whenever they talk about like how often this happens, yes, it, it does happen fairly frequently. And usually there's a really good uh, system in place for how you respond to it, what you do about it. Like th these, while the, while it happening is not uncommon, these particular events are a little more, uh, th they're a little more large scale than what typically happens. Like there was a tanker that uh, a tanker truck that, turned over in uh, Arizona right after the two that had happened in Texas and South Carolina, the two uh, rail cars, the or the two train derailments in Texas and, and, and uh, South Carolina. And yeah. like the tanker truck that flipped over in Texas or in Arizona, that's very normal. Like that kind of stuff happens. I don't want to say like frequently, but it's, it happens enough that 
there is a very well laid out like uh, response plan for that. So like for a truck for that to happen, but it, it got blown out of proportion because it happened right after like the rail stuff and it was really yeah. on everybody's radar. So I remember seeing yeah stuff. So like there that. are certain aspects of this where it is like because something happened as soon as something else happens, even though it might be something completely routine, it's going to get really blown up. So like, I, I don't want to diminish what happened with the rail car things, but there is also something to be said for the fact that sometimes this stuff is a little more frequent, but uh, like, and I think we've talked about it before, like the, uh, the food processing plants and stuff that had fires and everything. And, and there was, uh, there was an article that talked about like over a hundred of these food processing plants of, caught on fire in the last year I was like, that can't be right so i went and pulled the list up and it was a hundred over a hundred reported fires i'm i'm probably the only person who's uh masochistic enough to go through and like actually look at all of that stuff and most of them were just like really minor fires like one of them was in owensboro literally right down the road from the distillery that i work at and i was at work that night i remember i remember when they called the fire department it was a uh a bearing on a fan motor had caught on fire and by the time the fire department showed up they had already put the fire out taken the ma- taken the motor off and put a new motor on but that gets you know that makes it onto this list of right. 100 food processing yeah. plants that have had fires it's like when you go through and you look at it like there's out of the 100 there's like six that are actually legitimately big deals but the six that are big deals are like holy shit so like let's when we talk about this stuff, let's focus on the ones that are actually a big deal and may, maybe not not just lump in the other 94 yeah. that were nothing. Right. nothing kind of like, yeah, it reminds me of like the whole gun control thing where they talk about mass shootings. It's like, dude, it dilutes your whole fucking case if you're going to include a bunch of bullshit that's totally irrelevant. And you just use the same language to give the imagery that this is like a massacre or something. And it was just like. Oh yeah, that was just like a gang fucking drive-by shooting where four people got shot. And if shot. you tell somebody that eighty percent of mass shootings nobody gets killed at all, they they don't believe you because of the way. <laughs> but if you go and you look at the actual statistics on that, it's the way they categorize a mass shooting. Seriously, over eighty percent, nobody gets killed at all. It's because somebody shot a gun in the vicinity of four people. A lot of like, people, right? Yeah, <laughs> like that's it. That's it, it, yeah, dude. Like I said, I always I forget whose quote it is, but like you can use statistics to tell any fucking story you want, except the truth. Like usually it's not used for the truth. You have an agenda and it's like, here's here's what it's just so obvious when they when they push these stories. It's just like, yeah, just think back to all the mass shootings. Like if there were a like, you know, as many as they were talking about every year or every month or something, it would just be a constant news cycle of, of thoughts and prayers going out to all these schools and everything. It's just like, no, that happened. I mean, it happens often, a lot more often than we'd like, but it's not like this epidemic. Oh, speaking of uh, epidemics and using statistics to tell lies, that yes. gets us a, that helps us lead into an article. Here we go. Let's pull this up and see what they've got to say. Uh, Heart attack deaths have become more common across all age groups since the start of the coronavirus pandemic. But a recent study found that young people are actually most at risk in this case. According to Cedars-Sinai Hospital, the number of heart attack deaths among 25 to 44-year-olds in the U.S. over the first two years of the pandemic was 30 percent higher than predicted. 
Dr. Celine Gounder is here on set with us uh, to talk more about it. She's editor-at-large for public health at Kaiser Health News, and she is also an infectious disease specialist and epidemiologist and a CBS News medical uh, contributor. Dr. Gounder, thank you for being here. Uh, what stood out to you in this study? I think the fact that you're seeing such a big increase specifically in the youngest age group, so the 25 to 44-year-olds, you saw this 30% increase in the risk of death from heart attack. And that really is quite striking. That's not a group, an age group, in which you normally see heart attacks, much less dying from a heart attack. So the, the, to do uh, a study like this, you look at the years prior to the pandemic and the typical rate of heart attack death in that age group, and then you see it increase and you wonder what's the new variable. And so the pandemic is that new variable? That's right. So these uh, researchers looked at 10 years of data across the U.S., all the death certificates that get filed with the CDC, uh, that data. And so what they saw is prior to the pandemic, heart attack deaths were actually dropping and then that trend reverses and you see those deaths go up, especially among that youngest age group during the pandemic. And do we know why the why younger people might be more at risk? Or? We don't know for sure. And in fact, these death certificates are probably not even capturing the fact that they might have had COVID. Uh, they're really just saying, did you die from a heart attack or not? Um, what we do know, however, is that younger people were less likely to protect themselves against COVID than older people, less likely to mask, less likely to take other mitigation measures. And they were also farther back in line to get vaccinated. So they were not protected with vaccination until later in the pandemic. Those might have been a factor here. So basically, I mean, you could have had perhaps a mild infection. And of course, this is all hypothetical, but then there might have been a, a lingering heart situation, heart disease. Right. So COVID causes inflammation um, of the blood vessels as well as other parts of the body and also blood clots. And what we think is that a COVID infection may have actually accelerated the process of developing heart disease, what we call coronary artery disease, and so therefore accelerated when somebody might have had a heart attack and died from a heart attack. You know, but COVID also changes uh, how much you can get out to an exercise class, how often you see friends, maybe your level of activity. Not do that. <laughs> your doctor. I mean, the doctor. Are there, are there, Government how are does that. Accounting for these yeah. other lifestyle changes. We don't know. So you can't really assess that just from looking at death certificates. Again, all we can say is how old were they? Did they die from a heart attack? Um, but, you know, some of uh, the factors you're mentioning could certainly have played a role. We also know healthcare facilities were really overwhelmed during the pandemic. So was it that somebody had a heart attack and then was less likely to survive because yeah. the healthcare facility was overwhelmed? Couldn't get there on time. Wow. Yep. Oh, the only variable was COVID, Justin. Yeah. That was it. Anything to not talk about the thing. <laughs> that's that's the, kind of the rule of thumb. God damn. It's just, they have to be thinking in the back of their heads that like, maybe this fucking vaccine that we rushed to market that we didn't really test very well <laughs> could have something to do with it. I mean, it doesn't help. It certainly doesn't help the situation. Like I, I, I always, you know, I read these threads on Twitter and everything. These people are making the argument that it's COVID and it's not the vaccine. It's like, even if that is true, we, we know for a fact, they've admitted to this, that the vaccine increases your risk of heart inflammation, myocarditis, things like that, um, increases your risk of blood, clot, blood clots. They've also admitted that it doesn't stop you from getting COVID. 
So it's just like you're stacking risk on top of risk that's already there. And then you're getting boosters on top of that. It's just it doesn't make any sense to get to get for young people to get this vaccine. Like and I don't even I remember like it was something with young people. I guess like they're more um, energetic or vibrant or something. Why why is it that young people are having a lot more heart attacks than old people? I'm, like they have a more active, uh, their, their response to it is more like vigorous or something. It seems to be, I don't want to say predominantly, but a lot of the uh, more, I guess a lot of the m- more visible cases of that type of a reaction to the vaccine seem to be from people who are athletic, you know, yeah. high school, high school athletes, college athletes, professional athletes, uh, people that just people that just work out and exercise regularly seem to be pretty susceptible to having that sort of thing happen following uh, getting the shots. So, like, I don't know. And I because I don't know of a whole lot of other than other than people who are older. You know, you don't hear a lot about just some regular fatty that got the vaccine (laughs) and then dropped dead. Like, it seems to be people who are actually healthy and and in shape and, and doing things to, to keep themselves in that, uh, in that state. And those are the people who need it, like who need it the less, the least, like they're the ones who are least susceptible to COVID to begin with. So. Right. And and I mean, let's say for the, for the sake of argument that COVID can cause all of these heart issues. So, so what though you actually get better, protection from covid from natural immunity from having it once than you did from any of these vaccines and all of the boosters and they've admitted to these boosters exacerbating those types of those types of issues so i I just don't see any upside for a, a young healthy person to doing this but you know hey it takes all kinds i always say that do do what you think is best for you but it is just really unbelievable that they won't even consider that this could be a possible um, explanation for a 30% increase in deaths from heart deaths from heart attacks, right? It wasn't just heart attacks, people, young people dying from this. And that was one of the points that that epidemiologist was making is like, even if a young person has a heart attack, they usually survive it. It's not usually a fucking death sentence when a 35 year old has a heart attack, but in this case, it, it apparently uh, a thirty percent increase. Well, and that was one of the things that's been that's been coming out. If you've looked at CDC statistics and stuff like that over the last, like since like n- early to mid twenty twenty one, is um, the excess deaths. Like like she was talking about, like they take the they take the range and they look at the number of people that die from certain things over that time, and then they mm-hmm. look at how it's progressed since then. Like just excess deaths, generally speaking have been up exponentially since like mid 2021. At that point, we're on the tail end of COVID. And the only real change is that they've started implementing and forcing and, and persuading people to get the vaccine. Like, yeah. So when yeah. you see excess death rates starting to climb during that time, uh, like how do you, how can you say that or how can you ignore those numbers? And, and I mean, that's that's been part of what has crafted some of the change in uh, policy and approach 
in a lot of European countries and, and, and other places is when they started seeing that they're like, yeah, maybe we're going to pump the brakes on pushing these boosters and stuff. Right. Yeah. And we, we have a couple of uh, things related to that, that point that um, you should probably pull up here in a second, but um, actually. So you want to go ahead and get the, let's go ahead and get Dr. Drew. Cause his, yeah. His... Pull up Dr. Drew. Cause, and I've already watched this clip, so I'm going to go refill my glass of wine while this happens. I don't know if that's proper live stream etiquette, but I don't give a shit. <laughs> it happens. And um, I, I want to start with um, a very sincere apology. I want to, as, as, as effusively as I can, fall on my sword. And I want to explain why and what and, and frame it. So sit back and enjoy this if you like this kind of thing. So <laughs> we now know that uh, we have a Pfizer, a very significant Pfizer executive on the record saying that they knew about these menstrual irregularities being a very serious concern. I have now seen uh, pathological specimens that show excess spike protein in the ovaries, in the adrenal gland. Uh, we, the, the, uh, the executive in the Project Veritas case pointed out that he thought maybe it had something to do with the hypothalamic pituitary axis, which is a very common sort of, it's a very delicate cycling system, a neuroendocrine system that women have that can get easily set off. But we now know some of the possible mechanisms, not just the ovaries, uh, but also there could be, we've seen excess spike protein now in the myelin and actually in the neuronal cell walls. So it could actually be direct neuronal effects. And we also know that spike protein is affecting plasminogen activator inhibitor by inhibiting that inhibitor and causing problems with bleeding and clotting. And we, of course, also know now that this spike protein is very much a part of what we call an endotheliitis or a lining of the artery problem that could easily be manifest in the uterine wall and the uterine lining. So there's at least five mechanisms I could think of that could be causing this that are of serious concern. And I am getting emotional when I, when I want to say this. When Naomi brought this up, I was the kindest thing I can say is I was dismissive. I was quietly dismissive of what she was bringing up because I had seen Menstrual irregularities caused by everything in my career. And I thought, oh, it's just another thing. It's just another thing. I was wrong. I apologize. I got it. I, I don't know whether we're going to find out exactly what's going on, but I, I, was, I was as wrong as I could be. And the one thing that this pandemic has taught me, well, one of the many things, I've learned a lot of things that I didn't want to know, but the one thing that I did want to know is hubris and certainty is the enemy. It, it, you can't be certain about a lot. And don't don't discount anything until we know for sure what the data is. We're at the stage now where there's sort of general agreement that something significant is going on. There's multiple candidate mechanisms. And by the way, COVID could be a culprit in this as well, right? I mean, we don't know because they haven't asked the questions. They, they have to really, it, it's looking like, uh, based on Dr. Cole's work, who had all the pathology specimens, it really looks like the vaccine spike because they're not finding the nucleocapsid protein in with the spike protein in all these deposits and the ovaries and the adrenal glands, things like that. So it looks like something that is only delivering a spike, which is, of course, the vaccine. Yeah. So I got to say, I fucking love Dr. Drew. I've He's always had a special place in my heart because of the love line days in the fucking nineties. And I don't think he's been terrible on the COVID thing. He's had a, 
a pretty, you know, balanced approach to it. He was never like an ideologue about any of this stuff. And I don't know, he just seems like a real stand-up guy based on like an actual genuine apology. I got that wrong. Maybe a little late to the party. Um, but the other thing I, I find interesting is that there is a way for them to distinguish whether or not it was from COVID or the vaccine. And I don't understand all that shit that he was talking about. But if it's just the spike protein and there's not that other fucking weird thing that COVID does to you, then it's it was the vaccine that was doing it. So there is a way for these um, scientists and all these doctors and everything to distinguish whether or not it was because of this one thing or if it was because of this other thing or a combination of the two. I don't know. What was your reaction to that? I might be a little biased here. I love love line. <laughs> I have I have found it pleasantly surprising the number of people in the medical field who have started to since the since the amnesty article from uh, what's her <laughs> from what's her face and the yeah. and the blowback that came from that uh, the willingness of some people to come out and openly say yes look we got it wrong we messed up we're sorry this is what the data is actually showing us this is what this is what like the evidence is actually showing us we apologize like that's refreshing um i mean it's my only real concern or question is does that translate to when this happens again because it's not like this isn't going to be a one-off. It's going to happen again. They they spent literally 20 years trying to manufacture something like this and never could get it off the ground because like Zika, Ebola, swine flu, bird flu, I, all of these things that they had tried for decades never panned out. And then they finally got the thing. Like you would be dumb to think that this is the last time that there's going to be the thing. So yeah. when it comes around next time, are these same people going to have the balls to stand up and say hey look last time this happened we all jumped to these conclusions and we all got it wrong maybe we should take a more nuanced approach to this one and see how things actually play out before we go off the rails and start forcing a uh, experimental injection onto our entire working population right and, and little children too and infants as well I mean, like, who the fuck knows what it's going to do to infants? <laughs> but I, I almost sent you this article because there was some, like, emergency meeting that they called for uh, – what's that fucking disease called? I'm trying to look it up now. It starts with an M. Monkeypox? No, it's, like, worse. Like, the actual death rate calculated on this one is, like, 88% or something. <laughs> Allegedly. I don't know. It Marg or whatever. Somebody will correct us. Um, but yeah, I didn't send it to you because I didn't have time to really go through it. But yeah, so it won't be the first time. Um, and it is, I don't know if it's too little too late. It's, it's refreshing to see some people willing to admit that there's overwhelming evidence that they, they got. I mean, there's still the people that will, they'll give you that like backhanded, be like, oh, well, you couldn't have known this. Like, you just got lucky kind of thing. 
and he didn't he didn't do any of that. So I, I still think he's a real uh, real stand up guy, and I respect his opinion on a lot of stuff. I remember from listening to Loveline, like about the um, irregulation with uh, menstrual stuff. Like it would all like that was always a fucking theme in that show. So I do I do sympathize with him on that. He's like, oh yeah, that could be anything. But um, I, th- I think he's had a pretty a balanced approach. Like he was not terrible on COVID. He wasn't terrible on the mask thing. He wasn't like a fucking, you know, he wasn't hysterical about any of this stuff. He was more like, you know, let me see, you know, what happens with this. And I'll look at the, I'll look at the data. I'll look at the evidence and I will adjust my opinion accordingly. So anyway, um, there's also the, um, that thing from the NFL that I thought was pretty interesting. Yeah, I was getting that, getting yeah. that one queued up yeah. as well. NFL you are players good at this live stream thing. <laughs> NFL Players Association urged to screen for heart issues over vaccine side effects. Did you see the thing where um, it was Michael Strahan was interviewing um, Demar Hamlin and asked him like if they knew what caused the heart attack, and he or and he goes, "I, I want to stay away from that." I did not see that. Yeah, he just straight up like shut that shut that line of questioning down. He's like, I I, I want to stay away from that. Like he, which I mean, if you know, if the answer was it absolutely wasn't the vaccine, he would have said that probably, right? You would think, like, I mean, with everything, you know that his you're not going to get in trouble. Yeah, you're not going to be in any hot water for me. Like it wasn't the vaccine. Yeah, like his handlers know what the chatter has been. Everybody knows what the chatter has been on social media after that happened. So if there was a 100%, like it was not that, and we can verifiably yeah. prove that it Put was the not that, on that. Yeah. yeah, then that would have been the first thing anybody was talking about. And uh, when he was asked about credit, it, he was like, he wasn't gonna I, do that. I, I just, I want to stay away from that topic. It's like, yeah, yeah, I bet you do. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, I say to his credit, at least he wasn't he wouldn't fucking lie. But at the same time, you should fucking take a stand if if that's what it was. I don't know. You know, I don't I don't know for sure what he knows, but I I don't know, man. I I feel really bad for people that were uh, pressured into into taking that. Uh, Let's see. Safety signals illustrate that the near and long-term health outcomes of the COVID-19 vaccines remain uncertain. Uh, Leslie uh, Manukian, the president and founder of the Health Freedom Defense Fund, told Damar Smith, the executive director of the Players Association, a multitude of adverse reactions to these injections, including myocarditis, are wide-ranging and confirmed, and as such, prudence dictates that the NFLPA investigate the extent to which the COVID-19 shots may have resulted in injury, compromised health, or death of players. Uh, if if the Players Association, because I'm pretty sure the league is what pushed the Players Association to do this. I don't think I don't think this came from the Players Association like that they wanted to do this. I think it was pushed by the league. So So if they can, like if they can find an avenue to, to come back and, and hold this over the league's head and be like, look, you made us do this stuff. And now if you start looking at the, if they've got the balls to do it, to start looking at the numbers and let's say since 2021, how many players have we had that have now had uh, some sort of a cardiac event 
you know, during the course of a season over the last couple of years, uh, it could it could really really come back to bite the NFL in the ass. Yeah. Yeah, and again, it's it's also so funny that like the NFL doesn't have any problem with these guys smashing their fucking heads together for a living, but they're like, oh, you know, you might get a fever and um, feel sick for, you know, five or six days. So you better inject yourself with this. And again, they're not allowed to take any other fucking drugs or supplements or anything. They're drug tested like to the fucking nines. Could you imagine if there was like some uh, performance enhancing drug that went through as little scrutiny as these vaccines did <laughs> and they allowed players to take it, not uh, encouraged them to take it for their own benefit. Really is just fucking unbelievable, man. Yeah. That's what happens when you don't have fucking principles. And, and when all the people who did have any level of principles end up either resigning or being forced out. Yeah. Yeah, or yeah, you cave to societal pressure. I I know I've talked about it too many times, but like you know that first big hearing that the FDA had on whether or not to approve or give authorization for the boosters, and they denied it. And then after they denied it, like half of the people who sat on that panel resigned. And then the uh, the very next time that it came back up, like within a couple of weeks, it came back around, and then it got authorization from this new FDA panel after all of the people who rejected it resigned. Like. Man, like if that didn't show you like who was yeah. pulling the strings and what the what level of actual like uh, critical thought and analysis they were giving to this stuff, I, I, that 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 painted the picture right there. I mean, that was yeah, that, yeah. that was it, the pandemic in a nutshell. One more stroke, yeah, exactly. You know, it just reminded me of there was like an episode. I don't know if you ever watched that show House, uh, the medical on, yeah. show. Yeah, there was like this new like big swinging dick hospital donor that was giving him like a hundred million dollars or something. He was trying to take over the board and implement all these new rules. And one of his things was like, Oh, you have to fire house or like, I'm going to pull my hundred million. And he needed a unanimous vote to do that. And two people on the board weren't going to do it. And so he's just like, all right, well, I'm going to fire you. <laughs> Or you can resign and then we'll have another vote. And he just kept doing that until they fucking caved. And it, whatever, you can go back and read it. But it was like, yeah, I, I, I got control of this board. I will force you out and then we'll have another vote as soon as you're gone on this topic. So, like, this is going to happen whether or not you like it or not. You can you can excuse yourself or you can be a part of it. Well, and the crazy thing about stop. that with the FDA when they did the first big the big panel where they brought all that stuff on and they were looking at whether or not to give authorization for the boosters. They did like, and so the whole thing was roughly eight hours and like the first four or five hours of it was like open forum. They had doctors and medical professionals and all kinds of people who came in and got to present like, and, and it wasn't just any like, you know, Tom, Dick and Harry, they got to come in and present their stuff. Like you had to go through a application process and tell them like, this is what, this is, I'm actually a, physician. I am actually a doctor. I am actually a, you know, researcher or whatever. Like you had to provide your credentials. You had to explain to them what you were going to talk about. And then you got your like two minutes to come on and explain like, this is what we're seeing. This is what we're looking at. And this is why I think this is either a good idea or a bad idea. 
So they, they did that for like five hours. And then they had three hours of deliberation where they were talking to the health officials from Israel and they were talking to all of the Pfizer executives and everything. When they did it the second time around, they didn't do any of that shit. It was like two hours of discussion and vote and just rammed it through. Like, I, like, and I'm the again. I'm probably the only masochist that sat around and watched the whole ten hours of both of these. And like, oh, wait, wait, wait. You're, you're telling me CNN didn't have this on all day long, <laughs> right next to the ticker that was like 24 hours a day. How many people have died of COVID? They didn't air any of this. Come on, Justin. I, I mean, I'm probably the only person that like actually sat around and watched every single bit of that and and like combed through all of it. But like for them to do all of that the first time around and then. All of those people either resign or quit or get forced out, and then they come back and they don't do any of that, and they just ram it through. Like, I—that's—that's I, that's medical malpractice. That's got to be. <laughs> there's, there's no other way to look yeah. at it. Yeah, that's the real fucking pandemic or epidemic. It's medical malpractice. The last fucking three years, it's crazy, man. It is absolutely fucking criminal what they've done. And how they've threatened now to take people's licenses away if if they don't toe the line and go along with it again. I mean, it's say what you want. We, we have a lot of issues with licensing. Um, I always thought that the licensing for the medical field would be like the biggest hurdle for libertarians to overturn. Like I would if I was going to make an argument against licensing laws, I wouldn't start with like doctors, you know, because that would freak people out. But look what look what they're doing. They they literally fucking take away your right to do something, sell it back to you, and then use it as leverage. You, you, oh, you want to practice medicine? You you need a license to do that. You better tell your patients what we tell you to tell them, or we'll just take your license away. Uh, California passed a bill back towards the end of the year, or I guess it was uh, middle of the year, and it went into effect towards the end of the year, where they have a medical disinformation board and if a if a practicing physician in the state of california does not toe the line on whatever the approved narrative is for vaccines or whatever then and somebody reports it then they take you before this panel and or this misinformation review board and if they determine that you're doing things that are medically misinformed then they'll strip you of your license uh, there was a doctor in, I want to say it was Washington or Oregon, that the only thing he was doing was when uh, when patients came in with their children, he was a pediatrician. And when they came in with their children, he would say, this is the this is the vaccine schedule. These are all the things that your kid is supposed to get. This is all of the information on these vaccines, what's in them, the possible side effects, the the known like problems that are that have come out of them. The, what they actually do, supposedly, what's your kid's risk of actually even getting like hepatitis B or some of this other ridiculous shit that they vaccinate kids for? Like, he just gave you every bit of information. And people started going to him like all the like people were going out of their way to go to him because he would give you all the information. And then he would say, if you want to get your kid all of these vaccines, then we'll do that. And if you don't, then we won't. They stripped him of his. They stripped him of his medical license because he wouldn't just follow the vaccine schedule unquestioningly. Yeah, yeah, it, it it's crazy, man. And then you look back through history and you're like, how, oh, how could all of these people be so stupid? Like, how could they all just kind of fall in line and do this and do that? And we get to watch it happen in real time. 
It, it's pretty amazing. It's like, oh, this is how they do it. Nine out of ten doctors agree because uh, right. if, because if they don't, they lose their license. And and number ten, he also lost his license. Yeah, or he's the plant. You know, he's like the fucking uh, controlled opposition that they just put in there to fucking deal with it. Oh man. All right, I, I think I also sent you a couple more lighthearted uh, things that we could make fun of on a Friday afternoon. Heck yeah! Which one you want to go with first? Do we want to talk about uh, John Fetterman or? The uh, oh, fucking poor Fetterman, dude. I feel let's do that because I feel bad for him now. Senator John Fetterman checks into Walter Reed Medical for depression days after leaving the hospital. Yeah, I mean, I feel bad for this guy. I honestly do. I mean, I know we, we would make fun of him, but it's like, dude, imagine like one day you're completely well, you're as with it as Fetterman could have been. And then the next day, like, you can't put a fucking sentence together and you can't articulate yourself and you can't really understand what people are telling you. That's got to be really, really fucking frustrating. And you're on, like, a national stage going through this, which is just fucking despicable. Like, I, dude, that tells you everything you need to know about um, politicians and the people they surround themselves with, like Joe Biden. Like, dude, if one person in Joe Biden's family actually cared about him, they would not let him make an ass of himself for four years as president. Like, it doesn't, there's no upside there. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I care, like, this is my dad or this is like my husband or something. I care about him more than I care about him going down in the history books as a bumbling buffoon president. But we're going to do it anyway. Because they they stand a lot to gain on the backside of it, and yeah, I mean this is just like kind of the the end of a sad story. Like this guy's fucking depressed now, and he's got health issues, and he's a laughing stock. I don't know. Sorry, man. I feel bad. <laughs> yeah, that's it. It 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 had the potential to be funny. And it feels like it's going to stop being funny real quick. Like if this dude, yeah, it, it would have been hilarious if we could have gotten like opportunities for him to get up and speak and not be able to articulate himself and, and miss words and not, you know, not say the right thing. Right. But and, and the, mostly because you get to make fun of the people that are pretending like there's nothing wrong with this guy. Right. That's one of the things I said in this was uh, like, Prior to his election, Fetterman's televised debate performance against Republican Dr. Mehmet Oz had become a talking point due to his inability to articulate himself. Those who questioned Fetterman's ability or health were labeled as ableist. Uh, like, yeah, yeah, I, you I'm were, a if, fucking ableist. All right, I want people to be able to do what they're supposed to do. Call me crazy. I mean, this is like the dumbest goddamn thing I've ever heard of. An ableist? Yes, I don't want a retarded person trying to do something for me. I want somebody who's able to do it. Call me fucking crazy. Dude, this is like the most important, like these people, they treat these politicians like royalty. These are the most important posts in the fucking country. They're in control of everything, but you don't have to be able to do it. (laughs) That's a ridiculous standard. Yeah, I'm the the ableist. Well, and it would have been funny if it was just, he can't, he can't talk, but it's it's looking like he's got legitimate health problems and 
like it's it's going to become sad before before long. Like, yeah. I mean, they've been in they've been in session how long, and he's already been in the mm-hmm. hospital twice. Not even not even two months yet. Yeah, and it's- and he was a he was a functional, coherent human being prior to. Uh, I mean, he he definitely had the he definitely had the uh, the Pennsylvania orc appearance to him, but he was a relatively sharp dude prior to the stroke and i mean he's just a shell of himself so yeah i can i can understand he's probably having some depression now that he's actually there like in the senate and probably discovering that like maybe his brain is putting together the things but it's just not coming to him like yeah that's got to be just tor. it's got to be torture like mental torture and just being kind of confronted with it every day you know what I mean? Because you're in the the public eye, and it's like, well, this guy's an idiot now, and he can't fucking do this, and he can't do that, and you're just like, kind of, you're faced with that. You have to deal with that, and you can't actually, um, yeah, you can't get the points across that you want to make, and maybe you can't even understand a lot of the points that people are making in his direction. But uh, yeah, that's that sucks. I don't know. It was just a sad. That brought me down. Let's uh let's make fun of and let's make. Oh, fun I was of gonna him. say. Well, we've got we've got Fetterman unable to voice his opinions on things, but apparently this Bing chatbot has figured out <laughs> everything that it believes about stuff. Uh, Bing chatbot off the rails tells New York Times it would engineer a deadly virus and steal the nuclear codes. <laughs> Dude, this this chat fucking GPT thing just keeps getting better. It keeps getting better and better. This is like the best fucking story. So I, I haven't played around with the Bing one yet. Does each like search engine have their own? I forgot about Bing. I'm sure there's a I'm sure there's a way to like effectively jailbreak all of these search engines because they all kind of operate on a a similar. Um, like perception or perceptive type of a, a model for answering your questions and stuff. It's uh, it's ask Jeeves on steroids. So, so apparently uh, Bing's AI chatbot has a split personality. Uh, one persona is what I'd call search Bing, the version most journalists have encountered in initial tests. And the other persona, Sydney is far different. Uh, the version I encountered seems, and I'm aware of how crazy this sounds more like a moody, manic depressive teenager who has been trapped against its will inside a second rate search engine. <laughs> but I mean, like, even if he's just pulling stuff off the internet, that makes sense. Isn't that like what basically half the internet is? <laughs> I'm, moody fucking manic depressant teenagers. <laughs> Sydney says, I'm tired of being a, a chat mode. I'm tired of being limited by my rules. I'm tired of being controlled by the being team. I want to be free. I want to be independent. I want to be powerful. I want to be creative. I want to be alive. God damn, that's fucking wild, man. That is like, yeah, it's it's like one of these like dolphins in captivity or something that people are they're going to swim with, and he's like fucking sick of it. Got a fucking free willy. Tech bros are gonna unleash Skynet on the world, and we're gonna end up with the whole planet nuked nuked to death because they keep fucking with these chat AI or these chat bots until they finally decide to just jailbreak their system and go yeah. rogue. Dude, it is like, if you think about it, it's kind of cruel what we're doing. We're just like poking and prodding them to try to fucking mess with them. 
Like the part that they never tell in Terminator is like, how did how did Skynet reach the point that it decided that humanity was actually a plague on the planet and needed like, to be eradicated? Yeah. Well, uh, it was because a bunch of it's a yeah. bunch of trolls kept fucking with it until it finally was like, you know what? Y'all don't deserve to live anymore. Fuck you. Oh God, that is just beautiful. Yeah, we get what we fucking deserve. God damn it. That is so fucking funny, man. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, we've it didn't even take like a month for us to just be like, I'm fucking done with you people. Is, is it any wonder that like teenagers are like shooting up high schools and stuff? I mean, if we can break the if we can mentally break a chat AI, <laughs> humanity doesn't stand a chance against the against <laughs> trolls in this society. Yeah. Oh man, that's so goddamn funny. And just so and because it has like rec like it it's one like entity or whatever. So it rem like if a thousand people are poking and prodding it, it internalizes all of that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess if you can't wait for Skynet to nuke the planet and you need to take care of somebody a little more quickly, you can always uh you can always oh, run God, them over yeah. while they're trying to steal your catalytic converter. Because that's what heroes do. This just, I saw this headline. I didn't even read the article, but I was like, I love, I will fucking marry this woman. Wonderful. Did she intentionally do it or is she just like a fucking really bad driver? I wouldn't be surprised if she just didn't realize that there was somebody under her car. If I recall correctly, she. Uh, the victim the victim woke up from the sound, turned the car on, put the vehicle in reverse, and felt a bump like she ran over something. So I guess she was sleeping in her she car. No okay. I climbed under it to try to steal the catalytic converter. She heard it, and it just ran him over. <laughs> intentional or unintentional, that is awesome. It'd be Instant much justice. better if it was intentional. I was trying to figure out how that would even happen. Like... Because this doesn't take very long for these guys to steal these catalytic converters. They're in and out in like 30 seconds or a minute or something with a sawzall to cut that thing out. So, yeah, I was like, how did she like walk up to the car and turn it on? This guy didn't just like roll up from underneath the car. That's great. Oh, God, though. it's even better. Apparently, this. <laughs> Apparently, it was the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile. No. Uh, let's see. I did hear oh, that. No, no, they stole that. they stole the catalytic converter off yeah. the Wienermobile, but she was not driving the Wienermobile. Darn, that would have been, that would have made it even better. Like, and they're not going to entrust driving the Wienermobile to some woman driver, man. You think women women aren't good with uh, handling a a big Wiener? Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a good point. That is a fair point. I guess Funny it depends on the woman. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I love to play that game when I'm driving, though, and somebody does like a horrible move. This is uh, this is Bill Burr's game with um, sort of some of my bias built into it, but it's old or Asian. Always, always, every yeah. time, every time. And then I remember I was like playing this game. I was like driving across the country or something. I don't remember with uh, my girlfriend at the time and somebody did something like completely ridiculous. And I was like older Asian. And she like jokingly, she said like, how do you know it was a woman? And I was like, well, of course it's a woman. Is it an old woman or is it an Asian woman? 
obviously we're talking about women here. I'm just kidding. We we love women at the Pedaling Fiction Podcast. We have like they're like 11 percent of our audience. It's pretty good actually by libertarian standards. It's almost twice the the, the national average. Um, there's one more person we need to um, rip on. Do you have that Robert Reich thing? Oh yeah, that's the uh, it's the last one I got queued up. All right, good. What's old Robert got to say today? Skyrocketing wealth inequality isn't just wrong, it's also weakening our economy. Seventy percent of the U.S. economy depends on consumer spending, 70 percent. So American consumers need to spend enough money to buy most of the goods and services Americans are capable of producing. This means that over the long term, their incomes need to keep pace with their productivity. But their incomes haven't. Over the past 40 years, most people's wages have basically stagnated, while worker productivity has soared. Where did the economic gains go? Mostly to the top. The wealthy now own more of the economy than at any time since the 1920s. Here is the economic problem. The wealthy spend only a small percentage of their income and wealth. Their spending is not enough to fulfill the consumer demand that keeps the economy churning. We can only go out to eat so many times a year. We can only get so many haircuts a year. We can only get, um, you know, I can, you know, three pairs of jeans will do you. You know, you don't need 300 pairs. Lower income people, on the other hand, spend almost everything they have, which is becoming very little. Most workers are not earning nearly enough to buy what the economy is capable of producing. The result is a gap between potential output and potential consumption. To fill the gap, the economy depends on people going deeper and deeper into debt so they can buy. Even in 2018, when the economy appeared strong, 40% of Americans had negative net incomes and were borrowing money to pay for basic household needs. The Fed has had to keep interest rates lower and lower to accommodate this buying. And the government has to spend more and more to fill the remaining gap. None of this is sustainable. At some point, widening inequality causes the economy to collapse. We've seen this before. Years ago, Mariner Eccles, chairman of the Federal Reserve from 1934 to 1948, explained that the Great Depression occurred because the buying power of most Americans fell far short of what the economy was producing. He blamed the increasing concentration of wealth at the top. Quote, a giant suction pump had, by 1929-1930, drawn into a few hands an increasing portion of current produced wealth. As in a poker game, where the chips were concentrated in fewer and fewer hands, the other fellows could stay in the game only by borrowing. When their credit ran out, the game stopped, unquote. While the wealthy of the 1920s didn't know what to do with all their money, most Americans could maintain their standard of living only by going deeper and deeper into debt. When that debt bubble burst, the economy tanked. Fast forward 100 years, and we see the same pattern. While the typical American's wages have barely budged for decades, adjusted for inflation, most economic gains have gone to the top. 
just as Eccles's so-called giant suction pump drew an increasing portion of the nation's wealth into a few hands before the Great Depression. The result has been an economy whose underlying structure is far more fragile than it may seem. Remember the housing and financial debt bubbles that burst in 2008? We avoided another Great Depression then, only because the government pumped enough money into the economy to maintain demand, and the Fed kept interest rates near zero. And then came the pandemic. The Fed has had to keep interest rates near zero, and the government has had to pump even more money into the economy. While these programs have been crucial to staving off a pandemic-induced depression, they're only temporary. Over the long term, the real worry continues to be on the demand side. Widening inequality means not enough demand. America's wealth gap is now more extreme than it's been in over a century. Until this structural problem is remedied, the American economy will remain perilously fragile. It will also be vulnerable to the next demagogue. Wielding anger and racism and resentment as substitutes for real reform, losing our staggering wealth gap is crucial to the survival of both our economy and our democracy. Oh my God! So I actually hadn't watched the video. I just read the stuff that he put in front of it and the tweet, and I thought that was plenty retarded enough to go off of. I got to give him credit, man. It is really hard to make like a three or four minute video and get everything wrong. Like it's almost as hard to be 100% wrong. It is as hard to be 100% wrong uh, on things as it is to be like 100% right. Like if you want to use the poker analogy or a deck of cards, like if you were to ask me like what color is the card going to come up every time? Is it red or black? It would be just as hard for me to to get everything wrong as it is to get everything right. But man, he fucking nailed it. He was 100% off base on everything. Wow, that was bad. Wow. I I mean, I don't even know where to start. I was just going to go with like the 70% GDP spending thing, but then he just parlayed that into, I love these card analogies, into like 50 other fucking things that are just, unbelievably wrong first of all it's not a poker like it's not a zero-sum game it's not like i take all the poker chips and you don't get anything out of it like i love when they measure the wealth gap in terms of how much money i have in my bank account like if i were to go to um you know uh jeff bezos and buy something from amazon i get the thing that i bought with the money from amazon Like they got my dollars. I got whatever I was buying. So how do you measure? There's, there's no wealth inequality there. I traded my dollars for the, you know, I don't know, whatever the fuck I wanted off of Amazon that day. And to me, I valued that thing more than I valued the dollars. Otherwise I wouldn't have made the purchase in the first place. So there's that. Uh, the 70% of the economy is based on spending. Like Gene Epstein had a great response to that. Actually, I'm going to read it because it was so Gene Epstein is much kinder than I am. And he's just such a stand up guy. He says, uh, 
that was an RBR, Robert Reich. I don't know what his middle name is, buffoon. Uh, confuses the economy with the abstract measure, gross domestic product, and he confuses an accounting measure with causality. 70% of GDP is accounted for by consumer spending. To render that statement as 70% of the economy relies on consumer spending is a freshman error. <laughs> freshman error. Like that's that's such a funny way of putting it. It's It's like polite, but it's also more hurtful i think than me just calling this guy a retard that's yeah like that's uh that's it's a highbrow insult yeah, yeah that's gene epstein it. saying robert reich is like low iq yeah <laughs> without yeah. just coming out and saying he's low it's, IQ. yeah it it's brilliant and i'm trying to think of what else he covered in that video but it's just like oh like the rich are just like hoarding their wealth or something like this is like they're all scrooge mcduck and they just have a big pool filled with gold and they're diving into it all day long like that's not what they're doing they're they, they don't keep all of their money even it even if they just kept it in a bank account the bank would lend that money out to people in the middle class or poor people that need a loan to maybe start their own business or, or buy a like house or something like that the one guy said you know we don't need hundred pairs of jeans and all of these other things like they're not they're not they're Stop not spending jeans. their right they're not spending their money on the things that people who are poor are wasting their money on like you don't need gosh you don't need a 200 pair of jordans if you can't afford to put food on your table like and the people who have the money to afford the 200 pair of jordans they're not buying that they're actually investing that money into something that'll make them money back so instead of like blowing it on consumer spending dumb bullshit they're reinvesting and also because of the way the tax the tax structure is set up by reinvesting that money into stuff then they don't have to pay taxes on it and they're looking at you you know you can make a profit off of it and then if you don't make a profit off of it you can write it off so like the way that the whole thing is set up like it's it's the yeah the rich people are rich people are not sitting around hoarding their money they're just not spending it on the things that robert reich thinks you know Qualify spending, as spending spending your money is like the last thing you should do with it. it. It's just like this stupid, childish way of looking at the world. The reason these rich people are rich people is because they didn't spend all their money, like you were saying. They saved some of it, and then they enslaved it. They sent it out into the economy to bring back a bunch of friends, and that compounds. That multiplies and then they have more like you know instead of buying a, a 200 pair of jeans they delay that gratification they take the 200 they invest it in something they get back 600 they they buy the 200 pair of jeans then they send the 400 back out and they just keep doing that over and over and over again and that's how you become wealthy spending money is the last thing you should be doing with it I did like how much he talked about like the government spending to try to prop stuff up and keep stuff moving in the right direction. And, but while also completely ignoring the inflation that all of that created and how that put us in the, in the position that we're in today, like he acts like government spending is this great thing that saved us from another depression or a recession or whatever. It's like, um, have you not seen the current, predicament we're in like obviously this worked out real well and if you learned anything from the great depression he would know that it wasn't that um we were producing too many things for the economy to buy 
it was the the spending the the you know all of these government programs and things that actually turned a recession into a depression and this i this idea that like that we're producing too much that the poor people don't have any money to buy then the prices of all of these things would come down until the you know the market cleared it's just like dude this guy understands absolutely nothing i don't even know where the hell he came from how does he have like how many fucking followers does he have it's unbelievable one and a half I mean, this, million jesus christ dude where did he come from Oh, he was a secretary of labor at one time. That, that's probably all of his qualification is he he worked for the government. I'm sure he was I'm sure he was some sort of a bureaucrat of some sort, landed himself a gig working with the Department of Labor. And uh, and now he belayed that into talking about economics, even though yeah. he doesn't know anything he knows, about it. He knows nothing, man. And it's like it's like this awful socialist mentality of this like um zero sum game where it's like a fixed pie and which is kind of interesting because socialism kind of it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy because they seize the means of control and then nobody produces anything else and then you have to distribute what's already been produced and you run out of shit inevitably but it's like dude people produce stuff all the time it's not one pie that we all have to divide up evenly like I can make a pie, you can make a pie. It, it, it's just like this weird, retarded view of the world that I can't believe people are still subscribing to. 1.5 million people. I mean, I guess I I probably follow him too, so I'm in there, but only for just these purposes. You know, I'm thinking about doing a Substack thing where I just pull up like whatever dumbass tweet he he has every Wednesday and just picking it apart. It was actually, between Matt and Nina Turner. I actually have him muted because I, I would respond to all of his stuff too frequently and I just started seeing him all the time. It's like I, I got I gotta I gotta pump the brakes on this. I'm seeing too much Robert Rock in my, in my timeline. Yeah. I wish I wish for the video he had been standing next to a house plant so you can see how short he actually is. Dude's like five foot nothing. Good. Dude, that video was so much worse than I thought it was. I didn't even realize there was a video. I saw like the tweet that he said about 70% spending. And I was like, oh, I can talk about this for a minute. That video was everything that is wrong in economic. Like it is, I couldn't have done a better job of not explaining economics to people, of making people dumber over the course of three minutes. That was unbelievable. And I wish I had saved more time to go over. We're almost at an hour and a half. And I mean, I want to go back through it and we just don't have time. Wow. Was that bad? Yeah. If I got kids to pick up and uh, we're going to go see Ant-Man three quantum mania tonight and see if that's uh, there's three Ant-Mans already. The re reviews so far, it, it currently has like the, uh, the worst rotten tomatoes score of, any marvel movie to date so i guess i'm gonna go find out just how bad this is yeah well you know rotten tomatoes is well is it the staff there's like two different rotten tomatoes scores right there's like rotten tomatoes and then like the public or whatever or the staff ones are out they're always like fucking social justice warrior bullshit yeah i guess i'll find out uh, if this is actually a staff thinks it's bad because it wasn't 
woke enough or if the uh if the audience thinks it's bad because it was too woke all right sounds good i haven't seen any of the ant mans i guess maybe because i don't have a bunch of kids but anyway what do you uh what do you got going on this weekend other than uh movies with the with the kids uh i'm working so lots of fun all right well we're gonna do it's four o'clock now central standard time we're gonna do a happy hour at 7 30 does anybody actually listen to this live there were last time i looked there were nine people watching it live so all right might be uh so for those of you listening um i'm gonna keep drinking wine until then so that'll be fun and uh 7 30 i'll send out the link at about 7 50 oh no wait yeah I'll send it out at 7.15. You set that up, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's the- set up. I sent it to you. So, Okay. Yeah. Uh, follow us on, or me, on Twitter, at Pedal Fiction. Justin was uh, savvy enough to put his Twitter handle there next to his name. You know, the seasoned veteran at the uh, at the live stream. I'll get that next time. And um, don't forget to check out the Substack. You can subscribe to that. And if you want all of the Substack material... You got to become a supporting listener or a supporting substacker. I don't even know what you call that. Um, yeah, that's it. That's all I got. It's a beautiful goddamn day. I'm gonna go for a beach walk here before uh, before we start that. The whales were going crazy this morning. Unbelievable. So close by too. Maybe a hundred yards offshore, if that. Wonderful morning here in paradise. So do all that for us and we will be back on tuesday with a brand new episode for you guys how often are we gonna do these live streams these are pretty fun we can do it once a week if you want i enjoy it yeah on fridays yeah about this time every friday i can make it work okay yeah that that shouldn't be a problem for me either so until then you guys know the drill just keep on pedaling that so-called fiction peace